0: pie. Yes. Welcome to Spilling Chai.
1: <laughs> this is amazing. What a full circle moment.
0: It really is. And also that rhymes. So, <laughs> Something that I love about you, even though I just met you and have been on your amazing podcast, is that I feel like we're kind of twin souls and that we've kind of made our own career paths because girls like, that look like us usually aren't doing what we do more and more are now, but yes, it's a very unconventional for South Asian women. So mm-hmm. tell us about what you do and how you ended up at your current job.
1: Yeah, so I am the chief strategy officer of a full-service advertising agency called Mechanism. I've been there almost five years, um, and Mechanism has been around for 20-plus years, really started off more in the production and creative-oriented space, and so i to come in and really kind of help build the fundamentals of the strategic discipline, like hire the team and really help the agency understand and, kind of the industry understand as well, that strategy is not just a role in a company, but actually a mindset that um, aspires to kind of unearth the truth that sits within humanity, culture, categories, and really bring that to the forefront. So really kind of dismantling the advertising bullshit and the bad rap the industry has gotten to kind of recenter the truth as the outcome.
0: Um, how did you end up in this field? Like what did you study in college? Was it like communications and you always knew you wanted to be in the ad space?
1: I had no idea. Yeah. I want, i always wanted to just write. I wanted to be an English professor or a psychologist. So I, I studied English and psych and I actually minored in marketing and added that near the end of um, my time at Miami University in Ohio uh which is where I studied met my husband like all sorts of magic happened there uh but strategy is sort of the intersection of understanding how people think and bringing it to life in a way that is the most articulate poignant provocative and so it it actually makes a lot of sense that I ended up here um and then strategy I mean, if I'm honest, I think the reason I got my first job, which was in data strategy, is because they're like, oh, Indian girls probably with numbers. And I wasn't at all, (laughs) at all, at all. Um, But that was my foot in the door. So I guess this is a scenario where my race benefited me because of uh, the model minority
0: situation. Uh, sometimes stereotypes can work it, uh, work in your favor. Um, I, 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 <laughs> in so many ways, but also it can really work not in your favor. I think we yes. had a dinner party where the husband, uh, who's Greek spends a lot of time for his work in Bangladesh, and his Italian uh, wife, when they were serving dinner, he was like, oh, we have to have um, red chili pepper or something spicy for our initiate. And the wife was like, that is so rude and so offensive. To-. And, and she didn't bring out the chili pepper. And I was like, no, I need it. <laughs> I can't eat it. Anyway, although we will not be friends. Um, oh, cool. yeah. So something I love about when you reached out to me and how you reached out to me, first of all, it was such a beautiful um, message. And I love, um, I love. first of all, even before I met you, I can't believe how you came into my life. I always loved Be a Mom. I mean, you don't know how many times I follow them and how many times I've been on their the social media accounts or even their website being like why didn't i have the oh I, yeah i had had this even their frozen pads <laughs> oh, yeah. so tell me about freedom on because you put lactating breasts on tv for the first time and also if you have time to talk about what is america's obsession with nipples and breasts can we just put them on there we'll put penis pumps on tv what the hell? Who cares?
1: oh god okay this is my favorite um piece of work to talk about ever and I know I talk about it all the time so this isn't new news but the story is important enough to share over and over and over and so um I came back from maternity leave with my first child my daughter um in September of 2020 so she was born in May um you know Oh, peak pandemic, nobody knew what the, can we swear on this podcast? Okay. <laughs> nobody knew what the fuck was happening, right? We were washing our groceries. My cousin, bless her heart, showed up at the house in a full hazmat suit. So she could hold a baby like that level of, of chaos. And so when I went back to work, um, it was a very kind of emotionally fraught time for me. I had a very, very difficult time with my physical healing Um, post giving birth. I had postpartum anxiety and depression, and I was terrified about how I would be able to do the job I had been doing for so long in a way that um, kind of matched the level of excellence that I committed myself to before I left and you know obviously hindsight is 2020 20. I'm like that is impossible umka and now I know um but the first project I came into was, the freedom breast care launch campaign. So while I was away, um, I remember my team had shared a deck um, and it was a pitch deck. So we actually had to pitch to get the project. Um, And my face was on the slide as like here in spirit or like fairy godmother, it said something amazing. Um, And so when I came back, that was the first project I jumped into. And honestly, I couldn't have imagined a better thing to work on because it allowed me to just be myself and live my experience and infuse that into my work. Um, and so, you know, I was (laughs) live experiencing the challenges of breastfeeding, the expectations of breastfeeding, um, you know, right around four months when I went back to work, my daughter was losing weight, like my milk supply was up and down, my depression was at its peak. And I remember having a lactation consultant in the week before I started work, just like I was in the thick of it. And in business and in marketing, I feel like there is a over prioritization of external knowledge of the research and the studies and the data. And, you know, you have to read everything and know everything Whereas in this case, I was able to actually tap into my internal experience and my internal knowledge and build from there, which was a amazing experience that really made me like trust my intuition in a way that I never had before. And we've talked about intuition on my podcast um, and how a lot of women feel disconnected to it in this process. But um, I realized that the way Society and culture had been portraying breastfeeding was very skewed. It was not through the lens of the woman. It was not through the lens of the feeder. It never talked about the ups and downs and the challenges. It focused on it being this, you know, beautiful, instinctual bond with you and your child and your body just doing what your body is meant to do. And I mean, that is all factually false um and then you have this flip side or this tension of the fact that every human being when they are born is put to their mother's breast before anything and why we are not talking about that centering the woman and the mother at the core of the story why are we you know have we over sexualized breasts to the extent that we have forgotten the role that they've always played in um nourishing humanity
0: yeah it's why we're okay with like breasts on like playboy magazine covers but if a woman is feeding her kid in public get people like freak out
1: yeah, people freak out, and you know when we first had the idea for um, the launch spot, which was called Stream of Lactation, and basically like takes you into the stream <laughs> of consciousness. Wow. Yeah, of the feeding mother. Um, the idea at first was pitched as a porn hub idea. Like it was like we're gonna take over Pornhub and talk about the um sexualization of breasts and reframe breasts, blah, 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 because that was the only place we could show breasts. I know. I still think about it. I
0: wanna like, write about that after I get some deep therapy. Are you serious? Yeah, because you can't even show them on Instagram. No. And you can't and show them on no. Pornhub.
1: Oh, Frida okay. Mom had a legacy of. Um, doing work that had already gotten banned so their first campaign um, was around the postpartum kit yeah. and actually showed a fresh mother like getting out of bed and those like diaper underwears and From the hospital. you know limping to the bathroom and yeah. originally it showed some blood and obviously you know
0: people freaked out
1: yeah media the media industry and America. It looks like
0: they're probably like gross. Women. It was were an up, yeah.
1: yeah. And it was banned. Um, and so as we were working, I mean, we were very lucky to have exceptional clients who wanted to push the envelope with us. And I can't understate that because otherwise work like this doesn't get made unless there's kind of bravery and audacity on all sides. But how
0: lucky that they had you. I mean, talk about a perfect match. It was it,
1: the timing of it could not have been better. Wow. And even like our whole team, it was a majority, uh, women led team on our end. Um, the founder of Frida is an amazing mother at the time. I think she was a mother of three. I, I now think she has four children. Um, but our clients were actually, our day-to-day clients were two men. And so that was really cool. And we also had a few new dads on our team. And so it was, it was incredible how much of our own experiences made their way into this work. And the woman who wrote it really kind of took her psyche back to the days of feeding her children and wrote it from there. Yeah, and that's why, I mean- it turned out so powerfully so
0: powerful and so successful it's the thing like God tap into your truth. people can always sense oh, yeah. authenticity um you have done i love that so much and thank you so much for your work and thank you freedom mom like to all the moms out there I mean, you guys are very lucky <laughs> the yes. because... not sucker the gas passer oh, like oh my god get all on of it. It. Oh, all get of it. it get on it the frozen pad Don't think about that. <laughs> And the washer, the spray, oh, the peri bottle so, yeah, that is so important. Like, I just happened to pick mine from the hospital, oh, so random and gross. Um, that they don't tell you, anyhow. Um, okay. so there has been so much in our culture recently American toxic culture and backlash with affirmative action, and of course, the SCOTUS uh ruling, the Supreme Court ruling, and you do so much work with DEI. And I feel like DEI now is going to be, is like, if not already on the chopping block, like already gone. What, what are you, what are your thoughts about the future of these efforts? Because it was so hard to get where we are. And now I feel like people think it's not a priority anymore.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is I don't know if people think it's not a priority. I think, politically there are a lot of games being played that people can see through and so there is an undercurrent of as you know Anushe like we this is stuff we talk about all the time but there's an undercurrent of like radical discontent with the decisions that are being made. I mean, even with the um, Roe v. Wade conversation, it was like 90 some percent of people agree that a woman should have bodily autonomy.
0: Yeah, we have to quickly do just a side note. Everybody's really pissed at this the Supreme Court. Exactly. It's not not a mistake or a coincidence that it was pointed largely by Trump. Yeah. Um, But yes, yes, we're definitely... The repercussions of his uh, of his actions. So there is a general. I mean, the majority of Americans do support legalized abortion, yes. constitutionalized protection of women's right to choose. But yes, you feel like there's like a disconnect between what people want and it's the court. Is really
1: exactly, different. and you know that's why I be- I think for the first time ever, it is more important that leaders in every industry actually take on the role of activism too because industries and businesses have power and this is all about power and so if other people and organizations in these um stratas of power are being vocal and speaking on behalf of historically, um, excluded populations, or, I mean, I'm just going to say the victims of the law, Yeah, there will be so much pressure that is created within society that I'm hoping and praying because I'm an idealist at the end of the day that, you know, it'll create enough pressure that change will just be absolutely fucking inevitable.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that. Sorry, I thought I had myself muted. Yes, all the claps. That's I think that's the problem, right? It's like you're still treating us like this minority mindset, but we're not the minority anymore. No, no,
1: so, and you know that's that is why. One, I mean, I will go to my grave talking about how diverse leadership is important, but we have been talking the talk for at least the last 15 years. But when you actually get into positions of leadership, they are so the the culture there is so monolithic, so masculine, so white centered that it's also not possible to succeed a lot of the time. And so you have these amazing people being put in these amazing positions but then being set up for failure. And so we not only need to get diversity at the top, but we need to fully reevaluate what leadership means, how we define it, what it looks like in order for us to actually achieve diverse leadership and see the benefits of that in the world.
0: Totally. And, you know, it goes with uh, race, but it also goes with gender. We don't know about we don't appreciate or make space for female leadership. Not saying that that is oh. you know, right, because it's, it's a Absolutely. completely different form of leadership. We're so much. I mean, so many people say even Tori Birch said that her experience as a mother is why she's such a good manager. Like there's yeah. so many skills that we have to use every single day to survive yeah. and make yeah. sure our kids survive that people are so dismissive of but they're excellent in business and professional settings.
1: Yeah. And when I think about, you know, absolutely women, yes, but also anyone of a different background, the LGBTQIA community, you know, like as much as it is, there are gendered implications. There's also, and this is where I'll get a little hippy dippy for one, one little sec. There's (laughs) There's energetic implications. And so leadership has been done through masculine energy of like go 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 ambition like get shit done check it off do whatever it takes and if we allow feminine feminine energy to infuse into leadership all of a sudden it's more about collaboration a rising tide lifts all ships flexible uh, it's hours. About empathy it's about yeah. bridging personal and professional it's about truth and honesty Mm. and transparency and so you know whether you are a man or a woman if you allow yourself to channel more of your inherent feminine energy which all of us have feminine and masculine energy even that
0: could be game-changing that is so true It's you know a really long time ago i I was watching this interview. Anyway, these women were talking about how, I'm going to say it was a confidence code, about how if you tie women to their desks, like they will never win the corporate battle or the professional yes. field battle. Men will always win that. But if you just let women control their hours and be in charge of their day, they'll get it all done, which is why I think, yes. I mean, the backlash to now working from home really pisses me off because I feel like, like so many women during the pandemic, like once we kind of, Things kind of stabilized momentarily. I was like, "Okay, this is how we get it all."
1: Oh my god! <laughs> working <from> flexible, home. <laughs> flexible working changed your life, right? I literally just posted on Instagram yesterday. I was like, "Flex working is life." Thanks, like guys. I was in a coffee shop with like these beautiful trees and all these like other you know, creative people around me and it's inspiring in a very different way. And I could breastfeed my kids, like my little son, who's about to turn one, like I've seen him take his first steps, Mm -hmm. you know, and that for a lot of mothers in particular, but fathers too, they just haven't had the luxury of being there, prioritizing it. But that is what life is. About in a yeah, lot
0: of it really is. It's not about being in a neon lit, a fluorescent lit building. And by the <laughs> way, they're really cold because even the AC is adapted. Yeah, men in suits no less <laughs> yeah basically mad men mad oh men. my gosh yep <laughs> oh to be a mediocre white man in a, in a lifetime oh, yes. okay so let's talk about your podcast corner office Breakdown, breakdowns is a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace by bringing to light conversations that usually happen behind closed doors I love that you're such a good writer Thank you. Um, so talk to me about this because I feel like corner office breakdowns is kind of your your other baby.
1: It is, it is. And you know the craziest thing about corner office breakdowns and previous to that, um, the book I've been working on is they were both born during my maternity leaves. And maternity leave, again, another thing that I will die saying is not a fucking vacation. But what maternity leave It's did, not a fucking vacation. Fucking. Yeah. Re- repeat,
0: repeat, repeat. Repeat. Um,
1: but what but what maternity leave did allow me to access was um more intellectual energy than I've ever had to utilize for myself. I'm a strategist. My whole job is thinking and applying it to creative solutions. And so I never had the the mental space as an adult who's having like realizations and stuff to actually channel that into anything. So the minute I had intellectual space, a book came out, and then a podcast came out um, alongside my babies. And so corner office breakdowns and the book were both born out of my own experience being a woman of color and leadership in a, in a very interesting industry that is advertising. Um, advertising is super fun. You meet brilliant, creative, unique, like iconic people, but you work like a workhorse and it has been predominantly like most other industries Managed through the masculine and by men, by white men. (laughs) And my company that I work at right now was no different than that, right? Like amazing, talented, kind, you know, four dads who love their kids and are like the coaches of the soccer teams and stuff, but still, you know, four white men. And so I learned so much about being the person with the different perspective and being the person who always needed to say the controversial thing and being the person who every other person who didn't identify with a straight, white, middle-aged man looked to, to help make the company the place that they felt they wanted to work and they were psychologically safe and taken care of. And it's all of those lessons. And, you know, mechanism for me is the pinnacle of it. Like it is where my true transformation happened, but there's so many stories from every moment in my career that have sort of led to this space. Um, and the podcast and the book are, are an effort to expose those lessons and give people again, a reframed perspective on leadership and be like, Oh shit. Like someone like Umbika can be a leader. That means maybe someone like me can be a leader. That means, Oh, maybe my sensitivity is my superpower, not to use something very cliche, or maybe, you know, when I become a mother, something will unlock in me and make me better than I've ever been. You know, there's so much power in just different perspectives. Yeah
0: and, it and just that, that is you know how that's they say? It. yeah you can't see what you can't be you can't be yeah. what you can't see it is really really true like for so long I used to think about that statement a lot because I'm like that's not true because I always looked and I'm like no I want to be there or I want to do that too but you know Mindy Kaling has a whole book out called why the fuck not me yes why not me but why not me? The book. it should be why the fuck not me you should always ask why the fuck not me but yeah. it is really true especially for younger women um to see that that isn't that is a a possibility and an option, which brings us perfectly to my last question. Yes. Is what, even though it's so cheesy, what would you say to, um, Younger women of color, young women, not younger, haha! what a slip, young women of color who are, you know, coming out, kind of making, trying to make their way because I always think, wow, you know, I had such a strong role model in my mother, but if I had like, I don't know, i like seen women like you or, you know, even so many of our peers, I'm like, the game would have been completely different, right? So what would you say to other women of color, young women of color, making their way out in this scary white world? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Even publishing, by the way, is so white. I'm writing my next book and I just want to die. I'm like, my next book is just going to be on, why is it so hard?
1: <laughs> you know that, well, you know this, but thats that's been my biggest challenge. Like I have this book written and people are like, who's this person?
0: Oh my God, people like, told me that so many times. So the pain yeah. gap was like, rejected by so many people before it was picked up by Simon and Schuster. And that was always the feedback I got that it was too much about race. And why am I talking so much about race? And it's like, bam.
1: yeah. I, I was <laughs> I was literally told to like dial down the diversity element of my book. And I'm like, Yeah, what it? Well, it's not mean a diversity like book because yeah. nothing is a diversity book. We are talking about human
0: issues. Wow. Anyways, I could yeah. go on about that forever. So you have to navigate your life from a place of choice, autonomy, and
1: conviction to yourself.
0: Yes,
1: And one of the things that I've written about is the reframing of imposter syndrome, which I think is something that a lot of young women, especially, Mm -hmm. and young women of color and, you know, again, historically excluded individuals grapple with. But to me, imposter syndrome isn't just going out and not feeling like you belong somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's actually being an imposter to yourself and navigating your own life through a lens of not being true to yourself. Yeah. Like you oh, are an imposter to you. And of mm. course, if you're, not, if you're not able to navigate the world from a place of authenticity, of course you feel fucking yeah. weird.
0: Well, also, if you don't fucking believe in what you're doing or saying, people can sense that like that. And then that's going to yeah. make you feel even more like, like why I love that quote, "Me, no, you have the confidence of a mediocre white man is because mm-hmm. there are people, okay, young women of color you know, and girls, everybody yeah. Yeah. that are so much Less qualified, less informed, less educated—everything than you. But they are—they—they feel entitled to belong in that room or that seat at that table. Versus, we're like biting our nails. And most of the people there—I mean, just look at Elon Musk. Who was there in the room telling him that taking off the Twitter bird from the building was a good idea, but he didn't have a permit? The police shut it down. Like how embarrassing! You can tell what like a mess that is. So yeah, yeah. Think about Musk himself. Think about how confident he is.
1: Wow. So we were saying that. I just went to Beyonce uh, (laughs) her Renaissance tour, and one of my biggest takeaways from that concert is I was like, I'm gonna start every day by listening to Beyonce. Like her energy, her power. Like her empowerment of women. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cozy in myself. Yeah. Oh. I feel fucking good in my yeah. body, in my life. And I think just knowing that like nobody is more worthy than at for uh nobody is more worthy about for whatever a seat at the table than anybody else. Yes. We are born into this. Life being worthy, yes. And just because you have less years of work experience, just because you know you didn't have the "quote unquote" prestigious education yeah. that or the someone,
0: right internships,
1: yeah, exactly. Harvard Business School people have,
0: yeah.
1: doesn't mean you're not bringing thousands of other things that those people could never bring. And so it's about honoring what you can bring and being aware of what you can bring and allowing that to inform how you show up.
0: Oh my goodness. I was actually taking notes the last couple of times when you were writing. Thank you so much. What a beautiful place to end the conversation I'm the I love you. I know, I can't, I know, I can't wait
1: for you to hang up in hang person. Out. But
0: you know what, we have to do a meet up in Chicago or DC, but I want Erin to be there too.
1: Yes, Erin Gallagher, shout out, Hype Women.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> hype Women, I love that, hashtag Hype Women. And I feel like we have just been kind of like circling like the rings on Saturn. And now we've yeah. caught up. It's been like a little Um, Thank you so much for your time on this beautiful interview. Oh, I adore you. Kids. I adore, I your. adore you, for you your I'm inspired, I'm You're inspired by you. Thank you so much. I'm going to suck in all your energy and your beautiful eyebrows and red lips <laughs> for the rest of my day. Thank you. Have a a good one, Mama. I will speak to you soon. Bye.